everybody. Welcome once again to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. Welcome, as I said once again, to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction, the premier podcast for all things strange, East Anglian and booze related. Now, who is back today? It oh. is Katie Holiday. Hello. And Joe McPhee, the classic coven. Uh, We're all back together. (laughs) Hello. Well, how lovely to have you both back. It's very nice to be back. Well, let me just introduce our topic of the day and then we can have the first drink because, as ever, the room is warm and the drink was cold and we don't want those things to, you know, influence each other too much. Oh, and I should say Chris is here, but he won't speak. Today, our subject is... The Panacea Society. Katie's scowling at me. Well, I'm, I want to know more about the society. I'm not sure at the moment if they're going to be excellent or... Or dubious society. Yes, yes. They're a religious organisation, so like you say, that can go either way, can't it? Mm. Sometimes excellent, more often dubious and evil. Dubious slash evil. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are they going to be the Masons? No. The Masons aren't that evil. Didn't well, know. Chris is looking incredulous. He thinks they're the evilest ever. In the levels, the evil levels. They are in Lewis. <laughs> oh, the Lewis Masons. They They'll be Lewis? coming for you. <laughs> what do they do in Lewis? No, I'm sorry, the TV programme Lewis. Oh, <laughs> not, the, not the Suffolk town. Sussex, no, Sussex uh, town. And in Endeavour. That's the other one, isn't oh, it? Oh, okay. They're right evil in that. The police who get in with them are well corrupt. Oh, God, probably. Now, though, I'll tell you more about it, but I'll just say how I came to learn about this topic was through lovely Chris Rogers ages ago said, oh, we should do an episode about the Panacea Society and Joanna Southcott's box. And actually, this is, it is East Anglia, but it's verging on not quite being East Anglia because it's Bedford. I personally am more bored with Bedford than I am with the rest of Essex and everything else that sometimes goes Well, once we crept into Essex, it's true. I heard it. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. (laughs) We did creep down to Essex. So we're looking at Bedford. Bedford is east of England. Yes, east mm. of One England. of the, the six counties. Okay, great. The good thing about the Panacea Society is, well, they're not around any longer, which I guess is not necessarily good, but where they used to be based in Bedford is now a museum. So you can go and see the Panacea Museum, and that's what Chris and I did a few months ago. Fresh out of lockdown, we went to see the Panacea Museum in Bedford, and a lot of my information comes from what we learned that day at the museum and also I bought a couple of books which was very exciting because the people at the museum I feel like they hadn't sold any books in a while <laughs> and I was I was so keen to buy the books they didn't have a card machine that I went away to a cash machine got my cash out and came back and the woman volunteer could not believe that I had made the effort of doing that she was so happy Did um, you that's really lovely was- Maybe she thought it was a trick. You were just saying, oh, I'll go and get some money. Well, she probably did think it was a trick. (laughs) 
You were just trying to get out. I popped back in. I was like, I'm back, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I went, can I just circumnavigate your one-way system? Because I, all I want to do is just buy these two oh. books. I've already been all the way around, I said. Just let me circumnavigate. So that was fun. Oh, I bet you made their day. I can recommend a trip if you're in the Bedford area. But, oh, it's hard to find parking. Just a little caveat there. <laughs> Very difficult to find parking. Well, next time we drop the boys off at Bedford Oasis. Great. You can just pop over to the museum. Lovely. Normally we go to Aldi. <laughs> that will be a change. <laughs> now, just a very, um, just a real quick introduction and then I'll give us the first drink. The Panacea Society were, if you like, a sort of breakaway Christian group. So they had their roots in Christian theology, but it was quite a different version. So they take some bits from the more traditional Bible and from some elements of Christianity, but they get rid of some other bits and they like squizzle it around a little bit. I think most faiths do that, don't they? With yeah. their books, yeah. they choose which ones they... Yeah, choose the good stuff. I agree. And they were formed in the early 20th century, around 1919, I think, was the sort of official founding of the group. And they actually continued for many years through the 20th century. A core group of them lived together in Bedford. It was mainly middle class women, so they were able to buy houses in this area around Albany Road in Bedford and this is where they kind of based the community so they bought all these lovely townhouses and they kind of formed it into a community where they lived together. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, that sounds lovely. So the museum where it is now is based in one of those old houses and you can see the gardens and you can see the other houses. There's one of the houses is called the Ark. That's where they were going to put Christ when he came back for the second coming. That makes sense. And they were a millenarian religious sect which means that they're faith was based around a belief in the new millennium which basically means it doesn't accord to the year 2000 strictly but a lot of these sects that believed in the millennium kind of grew up understandably because it's a kind of landmark year that the second coming of Christ was going to come around the time of the new millennium they were early though yeah they were a bit early but you know it's not exact or her (laughs) yeah it's not an exact science and they believed that the coming millennium would bring a transformative change in society and they were in some ways the idea of the panacea society is that they were preparing for this kind of transformative change and the coming of the new messiah did they know what the change would be uh in some ways yes We'll talk more about their beliefs. I think they're going to be disappointed. (laughs) Okay, so mainly this story takes place in the first part of the 20th century, but its origins go back 100 years earlier, so we've got a lot to cover. Are you ready? Yes. Great. We can do it because all we're doing is talking about the past. We can travel all around in time. We just can't use our peepers to see time. We can't see it, no, but we can hear it with our ears and we can drink it through the medium of booze if we try hard (laughs) enough. (laughs) See how I segue into our first drink. I got lucky because I found on Naked Wines, finest purveyor of independent wines, a rosé called Pink Panacea. Yeah! Perfect for the Panacea Society. So we're just all going to drink a bit of nice rosé. So I've gone a bit kind of low-key on the drink, but from what I understand, we'll go higher-key later. (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm going to glug it for ASM. That's good uh, sounding right there. <laughs> That's classic, classic Foley. podcasting. Is it Foley sounds if it's the actual sound? Foley sound would be if you were syncing it to action. Thank you. Uh, Foley would be if we were... Making um, it out of a watermelon. If the visual was pouring a glass of wine and the 
someone had made a sound which they would like doing a really loud piss in the toilet and then you put the sound of the piss over the pouring of the Why wine. Why is piss here? Jo, I was trying to think of something that would make the noise of liquid pouring. No, they could just pour some liquid. But yeah. wouldn't that just be recorded on the track? <laughs> no. Oh. You're prioritising the dialogue in that situation. Well, I've misunderstood. I thought it had to be a different thing that was making the Foley oh. sound. Okay, well, I'm sorry, everyone, that I involved piss in this. <laughs> clearly, it was quite quite unneeded. Right, I'm going to pretend you don't keep saying piss and drink my wine. Drink your pink panacea. <laughs> drink your panacea. Sometimes well, that's when very you nice. say panacea, do you think it's pancetta? Mm, no, but I keep thinking <laughs> of placenta, so that's not helpful. <laughs> do you know what panacea means? I'm going to say explain it to me. because Joe, Explain it to me, please. Okay, I'll explain. Basically, a panacea is a kind of something that heals all ills. It could be an elixir or it could be a balm, or but it's something that will cure all illnesses. So a panacea for all your all your wounds, a panacea for all your all your ills. Well, that's good because what with Joe's hip and your leg going on my knees, we need this pink panacea to we sort do. out all our ailments. So this panacea mm. will fix us and mm. we'll learn why the Panacea Society were so called as we go along. Just quickly, my sources. I bought these books. Octavia, Daughter of God by Jane Shaw and Joanna Southcott, The Woman Clothed with the Sun by Frances Brown. And those two people, Octavia, although we'll know her by another name initially, and Joanna Southcott. They're the two central figures in our story today. I really like the title, Clothed by the Sun. Mm. The Very woman clothed with the sun. Well, that with the sun. We'll find out that comes from the Bible. Very lyrical. It's lovely, isn't it? And Jane Shaw's book is particularly thorough because she was given access to the huge archives of material that the Panacea Society had. So they basically kept letters, diaries, all this paperwork, archival material was kept in the houses at Albany Road. And Jane Shaw was an American researcher and she kind of called them up basically after the society had sort of disbanded and it became a charitable trust. Instead, it was left to a charitable trust, all this property, all this material. She said, oh, I'd really like to come and research. And they were like, well, brilliant, because no one's ever sort of catalogued all this before. No one's ever looked into these archives. So she had access to this huge, vast selection of material. Is it all at the museum now? Yeah, it's all kept at the museum. So some of it's on show, photographs, letters, diaries, all kinds of stuff. Let's make a start with Mabel. Who's Mabel? Let's find out. Mabel Andrews, as she was then, was born in London in 1866, a fairly typical middle-class Victorian family. They were, as such families often were, of the Anglican faith, and Mabel was a dedicated churchgoer from a young age. But grief was never far away for poor young Mabel. Her father died when she was nine. Two years after his death, Mabel's brother, who suffered from consumption tuberculosis, moved to South Africa in the hope that the warmer climate would help his consumption, which is something that was quite common, that people would move to hotter countries, hotter, drier countries, Mm. in the hope that that would be beneficial for their health. And they were very close, her and her brother, so she must have felt his absence quite keenly. She could have gone. Yeah, he left her. Well, she couldn't have gone because her widowed mother was an invalid who had quite severe rheumatism. So a young Mabel was sort of left behind to look after her mother. Yeah, her brother's jaunting off for a holiday. No, he's going to cure his TB. Mm. Mm. A likely story. He didn't even have TB. He just just coughed a bit. Yeah, some coughing. (laughs) (laughs) You think it was a ruse? Yeah. He didn't want to live with the old mother. Oh no. He's like, I'm going to sunny 
South Africa. Now he did recover from consumption, but yeah, at that he didn't point, have it. <laughs> he stayed on to seek his fortune in the colonies. However, well, you'll feel bad about this next bit. In 1891, when Mabel was 25, news came back from South Africa. Her beloved brother had had a bad fall from a horse and had died. That's bad, but it's not consumption. Yeah. Later the same year, or Mabel's... Was he just trying to change his name and get away from the mum forever? <laughs> well, he didn't need to worry because later the same year, Mabel's mother also perished. Oh, God. So anyway, I've raced through that tragic family history just to make the point that she had a lot of bereavements quite early in her life. And that's not uncommon for the Victorian era. People were dying left, right and centre, but Mabel felt these losses very keenly and she felt a kind of a sense of injustice and a sense of, well, terrible miserableness, terrible depression, poor Mabel. Is she all alone now? Well, she's married a young curate named Arthur Baltrop, so now she becomes Mabel Baltrop. I'd like you to say that again, please. Mabel Baltrop. (laughs) (laughs) That's an unfortunate name, isn't it? I mean, it's no worse than a lot of names. (laughs) Baltrop. 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 Yeah, I mean, the thing is... Bal and Trop both do not sound good. It may, You want to think it's Balthrop, because that seems a more normal name, but it's Baltrop. If he was these days now, people would always be saying that to him on the phone. Baltrop. Mm. Can you spell it, please? Yeah. Her and Arthur, Baltrop, moved to Bedford in 1904. On the advice of Arthur's sister, who lived in the town and recommended the excellent schools... Not unlike the modern day frenzy yeah. for uh, yes. <laughs> buying a house What's near a good school. What's the record at the end? <laughs> <laughs> and her and Arthur had had four children, so they were in need of excellent schooling. Okay, which well, I think she needs to get over the past a bit. The invalid mother died, but she's got four kids. Focus, Mabel. Well, yes. Come on, take them to the Oasis. Well, again, you're going to hear some unfortunate news. <laughs> oh. All was not well. Just seven years into their marriage, Arthur became ill and he underwent a great deal of anxiety pain and suffering through the decade of the 1900s. Yeah, Mabel mm. suffered too. The stresses and difficulties of looking after four young children and an ill husband were hard on her. Aged 40, she was admitted to the local mental hospital, the Three Counties Asylum, with the diagnosis of melancholia brought about by domestic worry. Oh, oh life's just too much. Yeah, that's basically it. Life's too much for her. at this point? I guess they're probably all below the age of 10, maybe. Mm. maybe looking after them? Maybe the well, sister. Il- sister. Yeah, and I think Arthur, oh. in his illness, is sort of struggling on while Mabel's in the asylum. And she was in hospital when Arthur finally died. She did return home to look after the children. She sort of rallied after his death and she's like, OK, I need to get my shit together and go home and look after the four children. That's um, hard, though, isn't it, if she's not well? Yeah, and, and she did have later spells back in the asylum sometimes voluntary and once bloody arthur's sister got a sectioned oh can you believe it oh she said come to bedford and now she's just going she lured her there with talks of oasis and butterfly sanctuaries and instead (laughs) she's gone now i'm gonna section you and actually we can say something good kind of came out of this because mabel we'll find out she was a great sort of letter writer and petitioner and she actually did some excellent work advocating for improved conditions in asylums following her stays in the local Hospital. Oh, good. So yeah, it's lucky she was able to go in and out. Yeah, so easily. the out part being the most. I mean, lucky. that's probably a privilege of being middle class. Mm. I think, and having a little bit of money behind you and some people of kind of influence, almost looking out for you, that she was able to do that. This is a story of woe. So don't, far. well, 
Can you understand then perhaps why someone who has experienced a lot of woe would be on the lookout for some religious ideas which could give them hope for the Mm. future? A bit of joy. A bit of joy, a bit of hope, a bit of optimism. So if you think of um, that's kind of Mabel's mindset is she's gone through a lot of bereavements, herself has suffered quite bad health. She continued to attend church after her husband's death, but she increasingly felt that the Church of England was inadequate, really. She thought the kind of orthodoxy of the Church of England was not doing a good job of addressing the huge amounts of suffering in the world. She said, see it now, they've all had their porches redone. (laughs) What? (laughs) Their porches? Yeah. The church near us, church on Mill Road, all had their porches redone. One of Milroads opened a cafe there they, and they show movies and give you breakfast. That sounds lovely. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's lovely. Ah, oh, if only Mabel could have seen that. Big glass porches. Welcoming. Yeah. Come in. That's nice. I'm still not going in. It's a trap. <laughs> well, you can't at the moment. There's COVID inside, so you have to have the service under like a gazebo outside. Mabel felt that going to church no longer brought her any respite or comfort, but actually she started to find it was making her anxiety worse because she would go and listen to these sermons and she was like, this isn't helping. How is this helping anybody? In addition to her own bereavements, something happened in 1914 that further added to... Mabel's feelings of we need something better what could it be the war the war oh Oh, no so suddenly the war came uh kids boys or girls a selection Uh a selection of of genders for Mabel's children so suddenly in, in addition to her thinking god all these people dying in my own life there was suddenly this kind of unprecedented death of young people young men dying at the age of 18 19 mm. 20 these young kids dying basically so she was kind of like what the shit is happening this is a bad world the church is doing nothing to help anybody what can be done cycle of doom it is a bad world at that point and mabel's not on her own in this you know there's there's other people thinking oh this is we need something better we need something different so that's the mindset. So you have to think of that mindset. Are you thinking of it? Yes, I'm feeling very gloomy. You can see why Mabel was feeling gloomy as well. We've done our time travel and we can imagine Mabel's gloom at this point. But she did think there must be more religion can do. So she didn't abandon religion entirely. She was just like, it's kind of not quite working as it is, but there must be something that can be done to ease the suffering. She thought, it's not enough to have this promise of heaven. You know, we have to go through our whole lives suffering with this promise at the end that that heaven will be there and we'll have some respite. But she thought, why can there not be happiness on earth? Why must the suffering not be over until we die? Oh, God. It's quite bleak, though, isn't it, to think that life is just one long suffering? But that was Mabel's Hmm. experience. Oh, okay. I mean, bearing in mind she was a middle-class woman in Victorian England, so she was probably better off than some people. But I feel like she's a bit of a Debbie Downer. Well, Mm. she's of the melancholic disposition. We've established that. (laughs) I'm feeling weighted down by her. Well, you will be happy then with the next part of our story. Oh, no, does she die? No! (laughs) (laughs) How would that be a more jolly part of the story? Well, just because we're not big fans of Mabel, so we were... Oh, come on! (laughs) Gosh, I read this. I was like, "Oh, poor Mabel." I feel so sympathetic oh, no, I do, towards you. I, feel I don't sorry, like, but, but I also feel you're like, just calling her a Debbie Downer. <laughs> well, I also feel a bit like 
she's, you know, oh, everything's awful. Woe is me. Church isn't giving me anything. Some people don't even have a church to try and give them something. Well, that's true. Well, see what you think about she's this. She's got the leisure time to go to church. What about the Victorian, that's like, true. you know, chimney sweeps? Or no, they, everyone went to church Match on Sundays. girls, didn't they? were outside the church selling matchsticks. I don't know. That's not see true. See what I've you think about this next bit. Mabel did believe that Jesus had died for the sins of humanity, but she thought it hadn't really worked. She was like, <laughs> that's not worked, has it? <laughs> Because we're all still fucked. So she's going to kill another Jesus. <laughs> well, no. So she, she thought <laughs> she thought it meant the second coming was imminent. But look, she's got a point, don't you think? Yep, yeah, definitely. Like, what's yeah. appreciably different since Jesus went on the cross? If anything. Yeah, flushing uh, plumbing. Plumbing's a big but I don't one. No, think... the Romans had some plumbing. If you yeah. left the Romans their own devices, they'd have got there anyway. They True. had all kinds of underwater also, crowd water systems to... I don't think there's a direct link between modern plumbing and Jesus going on the cross. It was more of a... Hot cross buns. It was more of a metaphysical... Uh, <laughs> there's thing. no link between hot cross buns and sewers. No, no. Not, <laughs> I was going back to the question, what is different since Jesus went on the cross? We've got hot, hot cross, cross buns. buns. <laughs> No, are. you're trying to link the wrong two things <laughs> during that conversation. I was trying to think of positives since you went yeah, on the cross. Yeah, we have got a hot cross bump. I do like a hot cross I bump. really like a hot cross bump. I don't like them. Oh dear. Okay, so she thought the second coming must be imminent because she thought, look, I believe that salvation is possible, but we really need to like get going with it and we need a second coming. Thereafter, we can have the new millennium. Things will be better for people. Hopefully. Tell me about the second coming. She's going to kill another Jesus. What is that? No! <laughs> that Jesus will come back and then he'll die again. Well, That's I'll tell you actually, coming. I was going to come to this later, but I'll tell you it now. So the idea from the Bible, Katie, you've read the Bible probably more than I have. So mm. I've gleaned all of this from my scraps of art history knowledge when I'm looking at religious paintings, plus reading these books about Octavia and Joanna Southcott. So the idea of the millennium that these people are kind of following is related to the second coming. I think this all comes from Revelations. Yeah? I'm gonna, Great. I've, I have no idea. Yeah, I it comes from Revelations. a big faith in my knowledge of the Bible, which was based on reading of stories like Noah's Ark at primary yeah, school. Yeah, so. we all know about Noah's Ark. Well, Revelations <laughs> is I've the got. most fun book from the Bible. Everybody knows. Everyone who is a metal fan knows that you want to get on board with Revelations. That's where the fun stuff happens. The relevant passage states that the devil has been bound and sealed in a pit for a thousand years. Oh, After the thousand years is up, Satan will break free. He will escape and he will wreak havoc upon the earth. But not for too long, because the millennium will also bring the second coming of Christ, the Messiah. And those who had maintained their faith will reign with Christ for another thousand years. But first, Christ and the devil will have a big fight. Christ will be victorious. And Christ and those who had maintained their faith will reign for another thousand years. And that's the new millennium, is the next thousand years. And then what? God, that's really a long way away. Don't worry about that now. There's going to be no world left in a thousand years anyway. We're all over. So that's kind of the basis for these millennium cults, millenarian cults. Sorry, sects, groups, you not cults. You said cult now. I said it, didn't I? We all I didn't know mean what it. you think. Oh dear. <laughs> it's um, revealed. So that's the kind of idea that we'll see that the Panacea Society is Food. based on. The Messiah doesn't have to die again. No. That's better. It's definitely better. Because it didn't work the first time. (laughs) So why bother again? Other than hot crust buns and... (laughs) But we've already got those now. We've got them now, so we don't need to go (laughs) through the whole rigmarole again. Do you want to hear how Mabel found her her calling? Did she meet a stranger in the street? She met a woman in a library. Yes. That's close, (laughs) that's close. 
I knew it. Someone was dripping madness into her ear. <laughs> or saving her, depending on... You've gone right down a mad path. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was, she was at the library. Because she was a, a well-educated and a well-read woman. A woman at the library handed her a blue pamphlet. And the blue pamphlet outlined the story of a woman named Joanna Southcott, who had lived a 100 years earlier. And Joanna Southcott had been, in her own words, a a prophetess. She had believed that she was speaking the word of God and she had been a strong believer in the coming millennium and the second coming of Christ and the transformation of life on earth. Two things. Okay. Firstly, she was even earlier. Yes. In terms of she had a long time to wait. I've told you that it's really (laughs) only vaguely connected to the year 2000. And secondly, it's quite an ego, isn't it, to say you're a prophetess? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely is. And when we hear about her, she did have an ego. So the next part of our story, I'm going to tell you about Joanna Southcott. So that's the next part. And quickly, one more thing about Mabel. We'll come back to Mabel later. So Mabel read this blue pamphlet. Blue. (laughs) (laughs) You try and say it. Blue pamphlet. Blue pamphlet. Okay, fine. She read the blue... (laughs) She read read, the blue leaflet. She read the leaflet and she went, oh, I can get right on board with this. The leaflet on the back said, if you're interested in more materials, you can write away to this address and we'll send you loads more materials. And not short of them because Joanna Southcott wrote over 65 books. (laughs) Wow, so she's got an ego. She wrote them really quickly. Uh, and oh, I'm is not... it like mine camp has anyone checked the grammar and punctuation? <laughs> I... <laughs> I doubt anyone checked the grammar. She was churning those books out. So so Mabel had this, oh, so much new stuff to get her hands into and get her peepers reading all this uh, Did she... earlier stuff. She sent away for all those books? But I assume not all at once, but, you know, <laughs> here and there. <laughs> like Reader's Digest, you get one, you send it back, you get another one. Yeah. Within... This context of Mabel's discovery of Joanna Southcott, it is time for us to discover Joanna Southcott. We have to go back in time even further. (laughs) Now, I've got loads of research about Joanna Southcott's life as well, but to be honest, it's too much. We'll never get through it. So I'm just going to kind of skip the bullet points. Yeah, kind of some bullet points about Joanna Southcott. Debbie Downer or Ursula Upper? I think she's more of an Ursula rapper. Yeah! Yeah. Yeah. Bullet points, Joanna Southcott. She was born in 1750. She grew up on a farm near Ottery St. Mary in Devon. Oh, yeah! That's a brilliant name. It's good there. We know a few people from Ottery St. Mary. So she wasn't born in a multiple of three, but the other one was. Yes. Just checking cases. Oh, um, her early years were unremarkable. She grew up on the farm. But as she grew into her teens and her 20s, she started to believe that she could tell the future. And this started out small, like she would anticipate the weather or she would say, you know, this person's going to marry this person in the village. But gradually she became convinced that enough of these future tellings had happened that she had a special power. You're both looking really sceptical. <laughs> think- well, I mean, the weather, if she's got a good app, that's covered. And then, like, <laughs> she could just see who's eyeing each other up at the village, like, at the barn dance. Maybe she was just perceptive. Yeah. yeah. Could be. But she was also very religious. And so her sort of conviction that she could tell the future sort of merged in with her religious beliefs. And she sort of thought, oh, I must be special in some way. There must be a purpose 
to my special abilities that God has sent for me. She received her first visitation, as she called them, at the age of 21. And this was the point that she thought she was actually hearing a voice which was transmitted from God. So she thought she was hearing messages that were coming to her from God through this voice that visited her. What did the voice sound like? What did it sound like? Yeah. That's a good question. High, low, angry, kind. I'd imagine it sounded formidable, but not aggressive. Is the voice outside or inside her head? Inside her head. Do us an example. Oh, God. <laughs> Joanna Southcott. <laughs> <laughs> You will go to the Methodists and tell them you hear the voice of God. Tell them you have been chosen for a special path. Once you have told the Methodists, it's good. you may tell the rest. Why the Methodists first? I don't know, but he, the voice told her to tell the Methodists first. <laughs> but they precise. didn't believe her. The Methodists didn't believe her. She was very upset. But then she realised that this was just a trial. She had to. Mm. She had to do what the voice told her even if it resulted in disbelief and mockery. That was a very commanding voice. I yeah, think thanks. I would have done it. Yeah. You would have done what I told well, you. It was inside yeah. my head. Tell the Methodists. Yeah. <laughs> so Joanna started off telling the Methodists. They weren't really on board, but she started to become more and more convinced that her role was to receive these messages and to convince people that the end times were coming essentially that the millennium was on its way the antichrist was going to rise the new messiah was coming the battle would commence and then the new millennium would bring transformation to life on earth so joanna sort of got her visitations she started to hear more and more messages and she set out to convince as many people as she could that this was what was happening around them and there were you know there were wars did break out there were incidences of like comets falling to earth some slightly strange things happened so actually a few people did start to get on board with Joanna's ideas and by all accounts she was a very charismatic and convincing presence so she would do these speeches She's the devil come back Come on. Devils are always Ooh. charismatic. Interesting that the devil would hide behind a prophetess. It's important to add as well, again for a bit of context, that Joanna wasn't the only one making these kind of prophecies. There had been a slightly earlier figure called Richard Brothers, who was Canadian. He was a retired naval officer who had relocated to London. And he also started having visions in the 1770s, around the same time as Joanna. He also told of the coming millennium. And he said that he was Shiloh. And Shiloh was a messiah who would gather together a band of followers and build the new Jerusalem. And the name of Shiloh comes from the book of Genesis. What's happening in the world in 1770? The French Revolution's not far off. I think there was some wars going on between Britain and France. There's always some wars. Wars all around Europe, I think. So again, it's kind of when there's a bit of a time of unrest. You get people looking for reasons and looking for meaning. Now, (laughs) Brothers started to galvanise a movement. He started to get followers. A significant number of people started to follow him. However, he prophesied the death of the king and the end of the monarchy. Oh, oh don't do that, brothers. That's not going to be popular. He was declared criminally insane and confined in an asylum. <laughs> and you're not getting any maple syrup there? No. For a Canadian man, very important. Yes. <laughs> I had a little thing. I was like, mm, what's the link? <laughs> yes, Canadian. 
Oh, foolish. A foolish yeah. prophecy. So make just a note in your brain about Shiloh and the New Jerusalem because that will become important for Joanna Southcott and later for Mabel. I thought you were going to say, make a note, don't do a prophecy about the end of the king. Yeah. It's all very well saying that the Antichrist is coming don't and that Jesus the is coming then. back, but you can't be dissing the monarchy because they actually no. can put you in prison or asylum. That was a bad time. That's a bad time for Richard. I mean, it was a bad time for him. But a good time for Joanna. Uh, was she, she, like, yeah. could, oh, she, she could, could gather the... some of his followers yes. to her. Oh, I'll just gather these ones. They're, They're already one... vaguely on board with this idea. Cult wars. Gather them in, gather them in. Her growing bodies of writing, the first of which was published in 1801, appealed to many of Brother's followers. The publication of these books also found new audiences and soon she had thousands of followers. Thousands of South Cottians who ascribed <laughs> to her ideas. She moved to London. This was the best place if yeah. you're going to start a religious uh, revolution. People flocked to hear her speak. And as I say, she was by all accounts quite an astonishing presence. She would captivate audiences and everyone would be hanging on her every word as she told of her visitations and she told of the coming millennium. Do we know what she looked like? Stout. I thought she was going to be stout. <laughs> stout and round. And did she shake her fist quite a lot? I think so. And the picture I've seen, she's got a bonnet on. She oh, definitely has a bonnet on. But quite formidable again, I think. You know, she was she was absolutely fervent in her beliefs. So that kind of radiated out from her, this absolute conviction in what she was saying. And Joanna wrote frequent letters to the press telling of the coming millennium she wrote loads of letters to the church to everybody she could basically she was like you have to listen here's my message it's coming from god how did she have so much free time well for many years she worked in an upholstery company but then once she started to get all these followers she was i she probably got donations to be honest but of course, bear in mind, along with her followers, there were as many, if not more, detractors, and she was frequently lampooned in the popular press through satirical cartoons, Mind making you, fun that's of still her. Getting uh, publicity, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, no press is bad press. Yeah, she was getting a lot of attention, but they lampooned her quite harshly. What did they say? They just mocked her. They made her stout Look at her and bonnet. fat. Yeah. I'll find you some <laughs> cartoons, lampooning cartoons. <laughs> Such a look at her bonnet. <laughs> Hello, we're back. We're back. We're and back. Katie has brought us two drinks. Can you explain for us the drinks? Yes. Well, the, so I was thinking about prophecies and stuff because that's one of the clues. Ruth had given it was a us. clue, yes. Prophecies. So, um, so Joanna's got all her prophecies. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. And I was googling prophecies and the future and cocktails, and I found out about <laughs> a shot called a fortune cookie. Nice. And that made me think about future and what's going to happen. And yeah, so the yeah. first drink we have is a shot, and it's called a fortune cookie. So that's literally it. It. It's a proper thing. That's its name. It comes with a fortune cookie on the side. I love and it's it. supposed to be a bit kind of cookie flavoured. Also, just going to say, I really love these shot glasses and these aren't from my house. So you've brought these with you. Well, I wasn't they're sure. Really so brilliant. I w- Yeah, they're really nice. Little chunky shot glasses. Yeah. Everyone, look, I'll put a picture on Instagram. If you don't follow us and you're on Instagram, you can find us, Ruth underscore is underscore stranger. And then you can see pictures. What's in it? This one has got amaretto. Irish cream liqueur. Nice. Not a named brand. <laughs> bit of it's vodka. like being on the BBC. Bit of vodka. 
And then it's supposed to have vanilla vodka, but I couldn't find any today. But I did find some uh, creme brulee uh, liqueur, Ooh, Christ. Uh, which had vanilla in it, in Marks and Spencer's. Nice. Um, and I figured that would cover the uh, vanilla element. And just to add, it has a little fortune cookie popped on the side of the glass. Yes. So we should read our fortunes. Should we drink and then read or read and then drink? I think take turns. Okay, mine says you will advance with your abilities. Great. If that means... Ooh. Oh yes, it's it's um oh, it's nice. It's really nice. Katie's going to advance with her abilities. Um, the other thing I thought though about just having a shot is it's good because it is creamy. You can't have yeah. too many creamy drinks. Yeah. Mine says, when you are in a hole, stop digging. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you in a hole? Why am I in there? Don't get in there in the first place. <laughs> Joe. Mm. Oh. Wait for the right moment. Is that it? Is that just it? That's it. But you need more advice about that. <laughs> to do what? I mean, I hope Joanna's prophecies are better than this. <laughs> so because that um, was just a shot and I thought, well, I can't just take a shot. I planned this one a while ago, but it was going to be small. And I thought, well, the second drink was have to have a little bit less planned. Uh, but I found while Googling, again, prophecies and fortunes and futures and Mysteries, a cocktail called Miss Fisher's Mystery Cocktail. Oh. Which is our second one, which I thought sounded really awesome, like Dr. Yeah. McPhee's Mystery Cocktail. Turns out it wasn't quite as awesome as I thought. And in the 2010s, they uh, Australians made a detective series on television called Miss Fisher's Mysteries. Okay. And someone has made a cocktail in the honour of this oh, nice. detective. Okay, and or should we drink it and see if we can guess what's inside? Yes. Is that what the bourbon went in? Okay. Oh, sorry, I've given it away now. Oh. oh, the mystery. Okay, we'll guess the other stuff. Maybe you prophesized it. I could tell with my powers. A voice came to me, Ruth, the bourbon <laughs> is in the red drink. <laughs> That's what it said. The voice has got a little bit less commanding. <laughs> The voice has had a shot. It's got less good. It's got got a good icy lump in the middle. Good shaking, Chris. It's got properly chilled. Oh, cripes. It's a mix of sweet and sour. Yes. Um, I can taste the... You can tell this one was more last minute. I can taste the Jack Daniels. What else? Well, I hadn't tried this one. Where's the uh, fortune cookie shot? I had tried to great success Oh, it's bracing. It must have a fruit juice in to be so red. Not a juice, but you're not going to like it. You're not going to like it. Is it cranberry? Nope. It's oh. got jam in it. What? <laughs> you absolute bastard. I checked. I checked. And it, like, you oh, my God. I hate jam. I what know. have you done? You wouldn't have known, though. I did. Katie did have some ingredients in oh, the jam you jar. Absolutely... But little did I know it was actually oh, jam. You jam sneak. You wouldn't have known. You snuck oh, jam into my belly. Jammy sneak. <laughs> through, a, through a drink, a tasty drink, jam snuck in my body. It's not my oh. fault Miss Fisher likes jam. Oh my God. Well, I would never have thought jam could find a good purpose in life, but this I'm is not tasty. Sure it's good. <laughs> no, it's quite tasty. Uh, so you mix lemon juice. Yeah, definitely taste that. Now With you've said a, it. Um, sorry. <laughs> I mean, it is quite squinty for you two. I like it. Yeah. Um, and then it suggested using a strawberry jam to offset it, but I thought that would be going too far. Yeah, So it I've would. used blackcurrant because I thought blackcurrant itself to me. is much more. And because it was being strained, I knew the fruit bits would not really make it through. You knew they wouldn't give themselves away to yeah. me, showing me that jam had gone in. So we're just left with the sugary juice of sugar and blackcurrants. Okay, and well, you like sugar and blackcurrants is fine. I'm gonna say 
I never thought I'd enjoy something that had jam in it, but... Well, shall we get back to the story? <sighs> yeah. Thanks for bringing I've these tasty drinks. i where we are. We were, I was just telling you that Joanna Southcott had gained thousands of followers, but she also had a lot of detractors. Yes. Making fun of her. Just one little point that I'll tell you before we get straight back to the story, but it is Southcott related. You remember how in the main Bible, Eve gets all the blame for yeah. the fall of mankind. And the Eve, apple tree, it wasn't really an apple tree, it was a Eve tree. was tempted by the snake, the devil, and she got them, she picked the apples, she made Adam eat the apple. Poor old Adam, he didn't know what he was doing, it was Eve's fault, blah, blah, blah. Oh, how awful the evil woman tricked him. She brought sin into the world by eating that apple. However, Joanna Southcott wasn't really up for this. Because oh, she like herself was a woman, so she was like, well, I'm not buying all this bit. This yes. shit about women being blamed for the fall of humanity. I'm sorry we were mean about Joanna Southcott. Yeah, I know. She's she saying better. Eve and all subsequent women had been unfairly maligned. Yes. Because yes. everyone can see that it was Satan's fault. I mean, I'm going more with the you can eat the fig if you want to eat the fig. You're saying it's God's fault. Well, it's a weird thing to do to go, I've made a tree of delicious right, figs, of don't have any. Yeah, but Joanna's not going to blame God, is she? So mm. she's blaming Satan, but she is taking the blame off Eve. So she says, in her reading of the Bible and in her prophecies, there will be a female saviour who would help overcome the devil and who would help bring about the new millennium. And this woman is identified in the book of Revelations as the woman clothed with the sun. So the woman clothed with the sun is this kind of a figure in the book of Revelations, but in Joanna Southcott's reading of it, she's like, this is the woman who's going to help bring about the new millennium and kind of fix this this wrong idea of all these years of Eve being maligned for the fall of mankind. I really like that description. Mm, that's brilliant. Also, the woman clothed with the sun is in the book of Revelations. It said that she will give birth to a man-child who will rule all nations with a rod of iron. Mm. I'm less keen on that. Yeah, bit. I mean, I like the woman in the sun. Yeah. I don't like the... Iron fist. Yeah, I mean, he'll grow up to be a man and then he'll, he's not going to... Well, we, we don't hate him because he's going to grow up to be a man, but it's the ruling all the nations with a But maybe rod. that's what the nations need. I don't think they oh, need a rod. dictator now. I'm just, I'm playing, <laughs> I'm playing devil's advocate. Anyway. Dictator now. now. Yeah, I'm not all right with this. This leads us to one of the strangest parts of Joanna Southcott's story. She's Hitler's mum. <laughs> <laughs> God, that would be a twist. From there, you'd be like, how are we going back to Mabel after this? Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. Is it possible? God. Have you done the dates? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It hadn't even occurred to me, so I haven't done the dates. <laughs> Do now. the dates no. now. Quick. Okay, hang I on. I thought we were in the 1700s. That's not possible. No, it's not. Oh, yeah. It's no it's way. Not... <laughs> hang on. I don't know why I even entertained the nation. No, uh, no way at all. No way. No way. Maybe Napoleon. <laughs> Now, one of the strangest parts of the story, Joanna started to associate herself with the woman clothed with the sun from the book of Revelations. In early 1814, she received yet another message from the voice. Do the voice. This time it declared. This year in the... <laughs> I'm sorry. Joanna didn't I'm laugh really... when the voice came. <laughs> Joe laughed too, don't you? Because she's laughing quietly. You can't laugh at the voice. You're not, you've not quite got it anymore. Okay, hang on. Let me have... <laughs> Let me have a sip of my my jam cocktail and see if that helps. Okay, I'm sorry. This year, in the 65th... No, the jam's ruined it. <laughs> this year, in the 65th year of thy age, 
Thou shalt have a son by the power of the Most High. Yes. The voice declared that Joanna, 64 at the time of the visitation, was to give birth to a child of God. Wow. The second Messiah. He would bring about the next millennium. This son was to be Shiloh. Joanna's Mm. gone all in. (laughs) She's gone all in. She's And a bit like, what was Abraham's wife called? But there was the whole, because the whole thing, wasn't it, that she was really old and then God had told her she was going to have a child and she waited her whole life and, like, she was really, really old and yeah. they were going to have this amazing child. Oh, and then eventually she had it and it was, like, like this whole thing about waiting and waiting and waiting and you get it right, and then you get right. this special child. Was, well, it, was it amazing? Well, Ida wasn't there and I imagine <laughs> a 60-year-old mum is going to be touch and go whether how good the situation it is. It wasn't that great. The child was covered in jam, as they always are, <laughs> and she couldn't cope with the amount of jam smeared around her house. <laughs> Even though you said to me, remember about Shylock? You've forgotten. I've forgotten. So Shiloh is a figure from the Shiloh. book of... Shiloh. is a figure from the book of Genesis. And Joanna read a lot about the book of Genesis and Revelations and because they're the beginning and the end of the... Old Testament. It, she saw it as being kind of a cyclical thing, like the end leads back to the beginning. And so the thing with Eve being blamed for the fall of mankind, but then the woman clothed with the sun kind of connects back to that and brings about the new millennium through her. So she saw a lot of connections between Genesis and Revelations. And the figure of Shiloh is in Genesis, but she linked that to the prophecies of Revelations and the coming of the new Messiah as had done uh, brothers before her as well. Uh, So when she has this pronouncement that she's going to give birth to a child sent from on high, she's like, this is going to be Shiloh. This is going to be the new Messiah who will build the new Jerusalem on earth. And I am to be his mother. It's big. It's big Mm. news, isn't it? Really big news. Really big. Did she shout it from the rooftops? She shouted it from the rooftops. She wrote her letters. She told everyone she could. Her followers all got in on the act. Her followers were rapturous with the news. Is there a man in her life? No. Ah. There's no man in her life, Joe. Only God. So it'll be a special... Exactly. It's an immaculate conception. golden shower, swan. Oh, a swan's Well, that's Greek mythology, but sure. That's my only knowledge of immaculate conception. No, you know about the Virgin Mary. Yes, yes, but that's not clear how. (laughs) It doesn't say like a swan came upon her. No. Like, the Greeks are much clearer about how the actual physical act happens. That's true, that's true. So we don't know physically how the baby gets in Joanna. So Joanna's 64. It's... This is unusual. She's taken off her bonnet somewhere she shouldn't have. This is all very (laughs) unusual. Her followers began to prepare for all that would be needed for baby Shiloh when he was delivered. They're knitting booties. They're making beautiful lace gowns for Shiloh. They create a really amazing, beautiful, like a crib that's on display in the Panacea Museum. You can go and see it. And it's all got like beautiful lace curtains. They made all these clothes for him. I think all this lace is a bit wasted on a baby. Well. He'll just put jam on it. Babies will just put jam on it. (laughs) So lots of this special clothing and the beautiful crib is on display in the Panacea Museum. Because it was never used. You can imagine the reaction of the press. Joanna was mocked more than ever. Also, you're not supposed to tell people you're pregnant until you're a certain number of months and you're showing and stuff. This is hard to believe. You can imagine how the press reacted. The Times challenged any medical professionals who had examined her to publicly state their opinion. An eminent doctor, Dr Richard Rees, came forward to say that he had examined Joanna and had no doubt that she was pregnant. Others came forward as well. Excitement amongst her followers grew and grew and Joanna began to swell. Swell stomach. Is it a cushion? 
stomach outward. Is it pies? Excitement amongst Joanna's followers grew and grew. It was said that the 19th of October, 1814, was to be the date that Shiloh would emerge, just one day after my birthday. Not 1814, obviously. Maybe you are... Unless you're much older than we think. New Shiloh. (laughs) The 19th of October came and went. No Shiloh appeared. Indeed, no baby of any sort. But babies don't come on a day, do they? Especially not firstborn. Yeah. They don't come on a day. Joanna didn't waver in her conviction, although some of her followers did begin to wonder. But she wasn't well. She was Mm. suffering bad pains and by early November was predominantly bed-bound. Through November, her condition worsened with frequent vomiting fits of a bitter matter and further pain and weakness. This is all recounted in Frances Brown's book. Dr. Reese implored her to allow an internal examination, but Joanna thought this risked the life of the baby, and so she denied any help. No baby there. The decline continued. We all know what a decline leads to. Mm. On the 27th of December, Joanna Southcott finally died. Shiloh had not come out. Was it a massive, massive worm? A worm? Well, because they make your belly grow because you're all extended because the worm's in there, but you don't like, and then you wither and die. But I don't think the worm kills you. <laughs> if you're not getting any nutrients, you're going to die. That wasn't my first thought. <laughs> what was your first thought? A tumour. Yeah. Because oh, she swelled up. Oh, okay. I think, <laughs> from now on, Joe talks first and then I talk second if I've got anything left to say. Oh, God. Now, when she died, her followers at first kept vigil over her body because they thought that Joanna was going to be resurrected in line with her religious beliefs. I thought you were going to say that they thought Shiloh was still going to come out. Well, four days, four days after her death, she had herself requested four days after you can do an autopsy. What's the significance of four days? Do you know? That's how long COVID symptoms take to come out. (laughs) No, it's that Jesus was resurrected on the third day. So the thinking is if you haven't been resurrected by the fourth day... Then you're really dead. Then you're really dead, exactly. I do enjoy bits of Joanna, but the ego there is really exceptional. She thought she was going to be the mother of God. Uh, Sorry, the mother of Jesus, which I guess is God. Shiloh. Shiloh. But he's the Messiah. Okay. So it all mingles into one. Now, but then she also thought she might be resurrected. Yeah, have, yeah I guess so, yeah. <laughs> she's she's up the ante there. She's upped it. Four days after her death, Dr. Reese carried out an autopsy. He could confirm there was no child. But was there a worm? <laughs> he doesn't comment on worm. Said about the worm. He says, in fact, her womb appears shriveled and small. No. Oh. And he commented that this did not seem unusual for a virgin of 64. Oh, no. So that's a sad end. However, Joanna may not have left behind the new Messiah in the form of a miraculous (laughs) baby. However, she did leave a sealed box of prophecies. Yeah. And she sealed this box up. She filled it with prophecies. She sealed it up. And she said, this box should only be opened at a time of national crisis... And in the presence of 24 bishops from the Church of England. 24 bishops must all agree and they will gather and the box will be opened. This is what Joe's saying about her ego. That is very demanding. What if 25 bishops want to come? What if only 23 are available? I think if you go over the allocated amount, that's fine. I just don't think you can have less. They're available because they're like fighting zombies and then, like, we can't open the box. (laughs) Why are there zombies? Well, I'm trying 
trying to You're think saying the... a time of national crisis is a zombie yes. apocalypse. Well, pretty much. It's the biggest. <laughs> isn't that what we're all thinking? It's the biggest one, isn't it? That's the biggest national crisis. I mean, if they haven't imagine. opened it for world wars or COVID, I'm thinking it's... What's left? Zombies. Okay, so we need 24 bishops together and then Joanna... I mean, there's lots of other conditions as well, but that's kind of one of like the big a ones. Tuesday at 3pm. Well... How Just... many bishops even are there? Now, I've been looking into this because the way that Joanna wrote it, it's almost as if it's like that's all the bishops, but there's more bishops than that these days. So I don't know if when she wrote about her box of prophecies, there were only 24 bishops and she said they all have to come. But now there's definitely more than 24 bishops. I'm like, what if you get an archbishop? Does that equal two bishops? An AB. Yeah. <laughs> she only wants the Bs. One AB equals two Bs. You've got like Rowan, does that like cancel out to... Oh, he's, he's if you get Rowan, that's like 10. Rowan's done now. Oh, he's done now, Katie. Oh, is he? Am I out of date? Rowan's an XAB. Does he do something awful? <laughs> They've all done. Does so how many... Done. Oh, no, I was going to say Pope, but this is... um You don't want... It's Church of England, isn't it? So you're not interested in the Pope. Mind you, maybe if the Pope comes, that just discounts everyone. Yeah. He can open the box by himself. Yeah. Or it would be the Queen. That yeah. would be the, the Queen's not the opening of, the box. But she's the head of the she, Church of England. She cancel out That's other true. bishops. That's true. If you put them in some scales... Yeah, so the box. Closed up, full of prophecies. And were prophecies a, uh, like written on a tiny slip? To in six inside? different languages, <laughs> yes. like a fortune cookie. I mean, in my mind, I'm just researching that she has sealed a box of fortune cookies. <laughs> <laughs> she could have. I don't know. Um, just... I imagine it was one of her like interminable scripts of all the visitations. But she obviously, she said these ones are particularly special and they have to go into the special box. This one is very special. Wait for the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what Joanna said. You, Joanna, have received Joanna's prophecy. I mean, I think you should put that in a box and send it to Boris Johnson now. That will help the country for sure. Joanna Southcott's box and the question of when to open it would become vital to the work of the Panacea Society 100 years later. You'd forgotten all about the Panaceas, hadn't you? Because we'd just gone back to the Southcottians. I thought we were going to go back another 100 years. We have to whiz forward in time now. <laughs> Katie, do your noise. I can't roll. Otherwise, my you won't whiz forward in time. Will you be left? Bye, Katie. Katie's in 1914, and me and Joe are in 1919. Katie's sitting in the mud in a I made a noise. Oh, by now I'm in the mud with the mud people. You're just gazing at Shiloh's empty cot that never got filled. I was just wearing a lace baby. <laughs> Do you want to hear a surprising fact about how many followers Joanna had when she died? Yes. Do you want it, to guess? Six hundred and fourteen. I've already told you she had thousands of followers. <laughs> <laughs> and you're telling me six hundred and fourteen. Six thousand and fourteen. I told you Joe should always speak first. Joe, what's your guess? It's very like Twitter. Like right, okay. Where you say how many followers have you got? Yeah, it's similar. I mean, it, it's a measure of your popularity, that's for sure. What made them a follower? Why were they? Counting? Oh, they. Oh, that's um, a good point. How are they counting these people? They would, have they given her some money. Probably subs, but they would each. You had to basically ascribe to the beliefs, and you got sent a little package. That, a badge. Kind of like a badge, but a little scroll that said that you were... Did it say Joanna Southcock's crew? Yep, <laughs> Joanna Southcock's crew. And then it had a tiny picture of Shiloh. 
<laughs> and it. What did he look like? Or and just a a, like a fetus. <laughs> and then with like a lace scarf on. How many followers do you think Joanna Southcott okay. had when she died? I've guessed 6,000. Okay, fine. I take that on board. 10,053 four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. That's a number. Joanna Southcott at the time of her death had around 100,000 followers. <gasps> No way. Yes way. 100,000 followers. <laughs> She'd sent out 100,000 tiny scrolls and badges with <laughs> She'd really tapped into the mood of the time. And her story had captured the imagination of a lot of people. That's a lot of followers to start off with. Over the next 100 years, the number... Be- it did decline, but you're starting with so many. It's not going to decline to nothing. Really, though, the logistics of signing up that many people. Well, but if you think the more followers you get, the more you've got people to help you with your wow. signing up. So she had loads of followers and then she had her like close-knit group who were kind of helped her out with her day-to-day tasks. So, yeah, they were the ones sewing the booties for Shiloh. So my point is about this is that by the time Mabel Baltrop is given the blue pamphlet in the library obviously the number of South Gotians has really dropped down from that 100,000 over 100 years but there's still a number it's not gone to nothing she's still remembered because you're starting out with a high number and someone's looked after the box all that time someone's looked after the box so some old South Gotians a family of old South Gotians have still got the box they've been entrusted with the box I think they've had a peep yeah come on it's all tied up you can't peep That's the end of part one. We've heard all about Joanna Southcott. We've heard a little bit about her mysterious box of prophecies. And now we've whizzed forward in time to the beginning of the 20th century, which is where we'll pick up for part two. Mabel Baltrop and her panaceans are determined to open Joanna's box. What could be inside this mysterious box? And what other beliefs will Mabel propagate in her community in Bedford? Hear all about it next time. Thanks for listening. This has been Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. See you again.